Uh, Darren, I wasn't going to record it, but you never know. So why don't we go ahead and do that? Uh, today is July 20th, 2008. Our message, I just believe we got the title for, is going to be called The Sharp End of the Stick. Yeah. Uh, might recognize that quote. It's from one of those Born Identity movies. I was praying uh, this morning because I was upset. Uh, Wednesday, y'all know, I had such high fever here, I was drenched in sweat. Uh, felt for the first time in my life a couple times in the last few days as if I was going to faint. I've heard other people say that. I never knew what they meant uh, until the last few days. But God raised me up from that. And He healed my throat and uh, has blessed me. So we've been doing what we call Shalom by Eat, bringing peace into homes in our church. And as we've done that, we've prayed in every room of people's houses. We've taken prayer requests from them. And we have seen God move. And uh, it's been exciting. We did two yesterday that were phenomenal, uh, outrageous, good stuff. And when we got home last night, I was so tired, I just went to sleep. And uh, I had something happen that I've never had happen before. At 1.05, and that number will be burned into my mind for a while, I woke from my sleep and felt as if my head was going to explode. I've had migraines before, but never anything beyond just an hour or so where I needed to sit and be still. And this woke me up from my sleep. And I started almost, y'all know me, I don't run to doctors and I'm not usually a panicking kind of person, but I really had a strange panic feeling. And uh, I started to think I was having an aneurysm or a stroke or something way too weird for a 33-year-old to have. And uh, my wife began to pray for me, and I literally could not sit still. I don't know how else to describe it. I couldn't. You know, when you're in such pain, you can't shift and get into a right position. The last time this happened, it was a wisdom tooth that broke a molar or some weird, crazy, demonic garbage. And... uh, I know what to do, and I want to say that I stand it up and shouted it down, and then I felt like I couldn't speak. Uh, I was nauseous, and uh, just in for whispering, praying in the Spirit was really more than I could quite take. And uh, that woman prayed for me from 105 to 315 this morning, and by 330 it had passed. And when I woke up this morning, I still had a slight headache, but the closer I got to church, the further it went away. And as I started to pray... I felt again like I was in what for 15 years now has not been very familiar, but it came back to me in a moment. My dad's watching right now online. He was my high school principal, and I was his very first suspension. I was standing in a parking lot, and because I have had an attitude problem, a young man had found some fault with my life that he wanted to point out. And he said things to me and uh, pushed me. And I knew that I had a standard to live by because my father was the principal. I was not born again. But when he pushed me the second time, all standards were out, uh, and it was on. And in the parking lot that day, one of us was going to stand and one was going to fall. I tell you that because that's the feeling that I got this morning. The devil is pushing against our church, and we are pushing back. At the same time frames, 
Matthew's wife, Cassidy, went into labor and she's not due until September. Three minutes apart, contractions for three hours. Those of you that have had baby know it's time to go to the hospital when that happens. I'm convinced that the devil's pushing. He's trying to find our vulnerability. And let me tell you why. I believe Jesus is going to make us the sharp end of the stick. I think that because we are undignified, because we are not bound by some religious list of rules, and God can work through those too. I'm not saying that He can't, and this is not about anybody else, it's about us. I believe He's going to use us in a new way. A way that we can move when He tells us to move. We can change our service the morning of when He tells us to change it. And I believe people are going to drive up and down this road and be surprised at what's going on in a little storefront church. And I can tell you, no matter what happens, we will always be in a non-traditional building that looks funny to other people. This seems like the Taj Mahal to me. We started in my living room. We've come a long way since we invited our neighbors on the left and right and had a service with two people. I'm thankful for what Jesus is doing. So as I began to pray about this, I turned to Revelation. I want you all to turn there. Sharp end of the stick. As long as the church sits back and is apathetic, as long as the church cares more about being blessed personally than blessing other people, we are no threat to the enemy. But something happens when we begin to care. When we care more about what happens to the man who is beaten because robbers left him on the road half dead, then we care about ourselves if we help him. See, we need to begin to be moved with the things that God's heart are moved with. And as we are, we become dangerous to the enemy. We become dangerous because we're no longer content to sit and believe. Like when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the people said, we were cut to the heart, and what shall we do? If that sermon had been preached in America, they would have said, what a great sermon! What should we believe? But they didn't say that. The Jewish people are founded on the idea of your actions express your faith. You tell them what you believe, they will tell you what they do. The pillars of Judaism have to do with giving charity, with praying, with studying the Word, things that are action-oriented, things that you do. I believe that we become the sharp end of the stick when we take seriously what Jesus told His church to do. In Acts, before He ascended, it's recorded that He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. And you will be My witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That means that what is done inside of you should radiate from your family, to your neighbors, to your city, to the state, to the country, and to the world. What is in us should spin outward as if it were in a centrifuge. In a centrifuge, you take something of substance and it begins to be separated and divided out as it spins and it moves outward. Jesus is in the center of you. And if your life revolves around Him, what He's put in you will spin outward. So His great commission in most most churches has become the great omission. Jesus' last words are go. The church's last words are come. And we find ourselves in a paradox. We become the sharp end of the stick when we become serious about doing something for Him. In Revelation, 
7, I want to tell you how the Great Commission ends. We're going to start in the ninth verse. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation. Come on, saints, say that. From every nation. What nation does it leave out? Well, I don't like Myanmar, so we'll leave them out. Uh, well, you know, those crazy Russians, let's leave them out. Thailand, let's leave them out. We can't. Every nation. Look what else it says. Tribe. All the divisions within the... Thank you. Within each nation. Do you know that between China and between Jerusalem... The ancient Silk Road that is there. They've started a movement. 100 million Chinese Christians that are on fire for the Lord, that know what it is to be in prison and know what it is to be tortured, have started a movement called Back to Jerusalem. And it's not to rush to Jerusalem with the Gospel. It's to march along the route that the Gospel first came from Jerusalem to them and take each one of those three strongholds and break it down. Three strongholds of Hinduism. Buddhism and Islam. Because the nations between the 50 countries between China and Jerusalem are broken up into more than 5,000 people groups. And they're the most unreached people groups on the planet. Now, I'm thankful that China is raising up fired up Christians. China has had the gospel in a powerful sense since about the 1930s, working in an underground movement. How long have we had it? And what are we doing? Every tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice, Saints, the church can hold palm branches in its hands, symbolizing victory. We received the Son of David when we've done what the Son of David told us to do which is tell our neighbors, love the world, witness through not just word, but action and deed. They're holding palm branches and listen to what they say. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen! Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, They or these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Before we read this next part, the Great Commission involves great tribulation. And the reason that it does is when you become dangerous to the enemy, he marks you as his enemy. I love what Brother Rusto said. He said, the devil is not my enemy, I am his enemy. Saints, we've been praying in people's homes, and I know a lot of you have spouses that are leaving to go out of the country, and there's a temptation to begin to think, oh God, I'm alone. And you hear weird noises at night. And maybe a movie that you might not have watched, shouldn't have watched. 
seen to replaying through your mind. And fear begins to encircle you. You need to be able to stand up and say, Devil, I am your enemy. How dare you enter my house? I will stomp on your head. In Israel, an example was set. When Joshua came into the promised land, he took the five major kings that opposed them. He took their kings and put them on all fours on the ground and let each head of every tribe, family, and clan come and put their foot on the necks of the enemy. He did this so that every Israelite would know enemy is already beneath your feet. All you need to do is act like it. Our King Jesus has put the enemy beneath our feet. Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. Saints, we do not need to stand back in intimidation. We don't need to stand back calculating the cost and reasoning out of our thoughts. God, well, if I do that, then this, this, and this. The price of disobedience will always outweigh the price of obedience. There is no question about that. Steve, Brother Richards, is going to preach to you Wednesday night about the cost of leaning on your own arm. I'm telling you, it's too high. A great tribulation produced great righteousness. These people were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Their white robes, Revelation says, are righteous acts. Not just a creed, friends, but deeds. Listen to what they say. They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. The Jews view God as wearing a prayer shawl, just like that one. And it has the commands of God on it. 613 knots on it. And they view Him, they call this wings sometimes. Here it's called a tent. They view Him as encircling His people and protecting them by His authority. Zechariah calls it a wall of fire. His people, He spread His tent over. Do you believe it when you say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Then why do we worry about who's against us? Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. It's interesting that earlier he said God was at the center of the throne. Now he says the Lamb. Find out that the two are the same. And He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Great tribulation gives a chance for great salvation. You look forward to a day when you will never have to look at a loved one and watch them die. One of the single hardest experiences and greatest experiences of my life is I stood beside Brother Gary Williams and his father, Gerald Williams. The moments that his dear wife, Betty, passed into Jesus' presence after 50 years of marriage to Gerald. I've never felt such a painful experience in all of my life. Death is an enemy. And they are dying every day who have received a weak and dead gospel that has no power to deliver, who have a form of godliness but deny its power, or worse yet, who have never even heard the true message of the kingdom. All they have seen is what the circus clowns on TV tell them about Jesus. 
the lies that build churches. Somebody, somebody has to go and be indeed what they are in creed. It's not just in Mexico, friends. That's a warm-up. It's everywhere we go. I told you Wednesday night, this preacher is through with pleasantries. I will get right down next to you and serve God in the mud with you. But gentleness is gone from me at this point. I want to be bold as a lion. You know what? There are things I won't get right. But the mistakes that I make, I'm going to make in fifth gear at 100 miles an hour. Turn with me to Revelation 12. You know, we preach and teach all kind of things in this church. And sometimes I teach you things that are hard to learn in most places. Today, my heart is not to teach. I hope to inspire you to become the sharp end of the stick. In Revelation 12, I want you to hear this, starting in the 10th verse. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. My personal opinion is that this is happening at the cross. Salvation is when, or salvation begins at the cross in the truest sense that we know it now. Salvation, power, the kingdom, and the authority of the Christ. Since the cross, those things have been present for believers. You can be saved. You can walk in deliverance. You walk in power. P-O-W-E-R, power. Sometimes Christians walk around like the Oscar Mayer Wiener Man. We look ridiculous. We act ridiculous. We're as nerdy as the day is long and completely devoid of power. There is no follower of Christ that can love his life so much as to shrink from death. We're going to read that in a moment. And friends, once you've crossed that line and said, I will die for the Gospel, then how on earth can we live for the pleasures of this world? How any way on earth can we fear what men fear? They're going to lay you off? So? I preached about being bold as a lion and one of the young men got sent home from work because he was as bold as a lion. Maybe no other preacher in this town would do it, but I went straight to his boss with him. And I'll stand beside you in any of your trials as well because Jesus would. We had a minor disagreement that has now been straightened out. Cody's going to be a covert witness for Jesus. Sometimes when you cross borders with Bibles, you don't announce to the customs agent what you have. Visit him at Kroger's. Every time you say God bless you, he's allowed to say God bless you back. Every time you ask him, he's allowed to tell you why he's smiling. I refuse to be hemmed in by an HR policy. My God is bigger than that. And I'm proud of that young man. Can you say we don't always get it right? But if we're trying, God will bless it. Man tells me we don't have a place for religious expression. I said, why is that woman wearing a burqa? Isn't that an expression that she's a Muslim? No comment. The smiles on your face are to express that you're Christians. And you can win over people without words if words are not possible. We were reading Revelation 12. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God for the authority of His Christ and the authority of His Christ. Hear this, saints. 
For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Come on now, say down. He's been hurled down. I don't know about you, but when standing in a circle and two men square off and one goes down, it's a good thing for the other man. I've been on both sides of that coin. There was a crazy preacher one time. He's still crazy. His name's David Hogan. And I've never met him personally. But I heard enough about him to feel like I know him. And a man burst into his church one day while he was preaching. David's an evangelist. He's seen countless people raised from the dead. And, you know, pastors think he's insane. And it's because he's insane for Jesus. And the man said, Pastor, do you remember me? And he said, no, friend, I don't. Interrupted his sermon and everything. He said, the last time you and I saw each other, we had a fight. David said, well, lay down so you remember how I last saw you. <laughs> the devil needs to know when he squares off with you, he has been hurled down. The truth is, he knows that already. It's us that forgets it. The Word says that he is like a roaring lion. Like is a simile. It's not true. He's not a roaring lion. You are a roaring lion. He thinks that he can impersonate one. Reinhard Bunker says he's like a chihuahua with a megaphone. He's been hurled down, saints. Hurled down. Who has authority? Who has power? Who does salvation belong to? It belongs to us. He's been hurled down. There is nobody standing before our God accusing you. There is only one there who lives to make intercession for you. He says, that little thing that Brother Steve did, it's on me. That little thing that Brother Eric can't get right, it's on me. And you watch, he's going to get it right. He lives to make intercession for you. There is no reason to be in condemnation or guilt. There is only a reason to count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ because power and authority, salvation, and the kingdom belongs to us. And friends, I was never the kind of kid that wanted somebody else to take my milk money. I'm not going to give up the power that God has given me. I'm not going to give up the authority of the Christ or the kingdom. This is not just hype. I, I was born to preach. I can do this in my sleep. Businesses try to hire me to do it about their products. This is about being pushed a step too far. When the enemy thinks that he can come into my home, disturb my sleep, hurt my children, and oppress my family, all he did was wake me up. I'm going to dance on his forehead today, tomorrow, and the next day. Let's hear how we overcome. Verse 11, They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. There is no strength in me that can soar into the heavens and fight things that I can't see. But the blood of the Lamb that protects me, that alleviates me from sin, that atones for my life, and the word of what He has already done for me, that this living word has become true in my life, what, like what Brother Casey did today. Job 29 became real in his life. That means that I can stand flat-footed with a demonic power and say, in the name of Jesus, come out of Him because I've already experienced the rest of the Word is true. I want to give you a hint here, saints. We don't go around casting out imaginary demons here. 
We don't run up to brothers and sisters and try to expel things from them. I think it's absurd. Christians ought to be full with, filled with the spirit of power and nothing else. But I do want to tell you this. When the power of the enemy is stupid enough to try to oppress a sister through depression, we're going to step on his head. When the power of the enemy is stupid enough to try to steal from you, we're going to step on his head. When the power of the enemy is there to try to intimidate you in your workplace, we're going to step on his head. I don't go looking for rabid dogs. I never in my life have sought one out. But if I'm walking down the street with my family and a rabid dog crosses the street to come towards my family, I step on his head. This is the way that we treat the enemy. I am not demon conscious. I am not Satan conscious. They are but distractions. But when they get in my way, I step on their heads. And when we learn to do this, church, nothing will intimidate us. Nothing will back us down. And that is not hype. We overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The way salvation came to us is when a righteous man, the very tabernacle for God's presence, did not love his life so much as to shrink from the most humiliating death that a man could die. And you know what? He's poured His substance into me and into you. That means that the devil has no power over you. Why? What's the worst he could do to you? So let's say I had the aneurysm last night. Let's say that I had the stroke last night or whatever demonic lie that he was trying to pull off. I'm in the presence of God. What do I really have to fear? We have nothing left to fear, saints. We're already dead to sin. If we live, it's gain. If we die, it's gain. There's a movie called Bucket List. I rather liked it. I don't know whether that's a good endorsement or a bad endorsement from a pulpit. I don't remember. I didn't watch it with my kids. But there's something powerful about men who knew they only had 30 days to live. What would you do differently? Do you really think you'd spend as much time playing computer games? Come on, man. Might be time. Might be time to act like your time is short. Somebody else is definitely acting like their time is short. Listen to what happens. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Why is he filled with fury? Because he's acting like he's only got 30 days to live. One of the problems with putting a prisoner in jail with a life sentence is what else are you going to do to him? He knows already that he's got the maximum punishment that can be done. So if he kills, no big deal. But if he's going to get out in five or six days, if he knows his time's short, it dramatically affects his behavior because he wants out. The devil knows his time is short. He's got nothing left to lose. So he steals and kills and destroys. Well, saints... God is raising up an army in righteousness that knows their time is short. The Bible says we are in the last days. Preachers have been interpreting newspaper headlines and saying we're in the last days. No, friends, we were in the last days the very moment 
that the sun went dark while Jesus was on the cross. And we are going to see a moon turn blood red eventually. This is what the prophet Joel said would be the last days and we are smack dab in the middle of them. And it's been thousands of them now. You know why the Bible can tell you your time is short or it's the last days and it be a couple thousand years? Because you're supposed to live like dead men that have been granted life right now. What would you have to lose if you were already buried somewhere? What would you have to lose? If your grave was right out there in front of that community store, what would you have to lose right now? Nothing. You've already suffered the very worst. That's what your baptism was. It was the burial of your old life so that you could be raised to walk in power. Not having a care. Throwing caution to the wind. Jesus is my Lord and no other. I refuse to worry about a mortgage. Or hear me, a $700 electric bill. God will supply my needs. He knows what I need. He's going to supply them. I want you to think about something else. Your time is short. Don't know how much, but your time is short. But I want you to hear something else, this descriptor of our enemy here. He's already cast down and his time is short. I happen to be an MMA fan. And when somebody goes down, their time is short. There's something called the finishing one thing to knock somebody down, but if you don't jump right on them, they recover. Saints, in MMA, somebody can be on their back and another person in what's called a full mount, sitting on their chest, pummeling them in the face, and it is called the finishing. I said, somebody's a good fighter, but he just can't finish. I want our church to learn to finish. He is already down. His time is short. The ref's watching close. The righteous judge is watching close. It's time to finish. What do you hit him with? The Word. Hit him with the Word. When he lies to you, hit him with the Word. Hit him with a sledgehammer. Quote Micah, say, I am filled with power. Look him right in the eye. Make him back up from you. The Word says, if you resist him, he will flee. If you resist Him, He will flee. You know what that means? You don't have to be skilled. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to have a great memory. You know what you have to do? Stay in the ring. He's going to find a way to slither out. When I was in the security business, we put stickers like those on windows. We secured doors and windows of houses. You could dig in through the roof if you wanted. You could bypass a sensor if you wanted. But what we were counting on it's that a criminal would look and say, hmm, that's too much work. I'm going to pick somebody else. That's what we were counting on. An international jewel thief could break into anybody's house that he wanted. But why break into a fortified house when there's one with the door unlocked next door? Saints, it's time to fortify your house. It's time to fortify your house. I'm tired, tired of seeing people sick and can't get healed. And that's not because of your lack of faith or my lack of faith. It's simply that we do not always walk in what God has called us to walk in. We've been intimidated. We've been scared. We've been beat down through experience. We've learned to accept mediocrity. There are times you need to go to the doctor. I went to a doctor recently. Got an antibiotic. But I said, devil, if I have to go to this doctor, you know what else I'm going to do? When the woman walked through the door, I said, I have been born again. I am in love with Jesus the Christ. That's an odd opening statement, isn't it? 
You know what she said? Hallelujah, I have a church in Rosenberg and we minister to the poor. Yeah, we gave each other medicine that day. There may be times that you need to do something for your body that is not spiritual and magical. If you have a headache, take Tylenol. I'm fine with it. But you make the devil pay a price for every ache and pain that you have to carry. Because we're going for a day when there are no more tears in the body of Christ. As Isaiah 25 says, our shame, our disgrace has been wiped away. Turn with me to Luke. Today there are no Hebrew words, no Greek words to teach you. There's no Hebraic concepts, there's no Ramez, there's no hidden behind the Scripture verses for you. Today, we're going to look at the plain language of the text and talk about how it affects our lives. In Luke 10, let's look at verses 1 through 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of Him to every town and place where He was to go, about to go. Jesus prayed for these people while they went out. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field. Who did He say to pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to? Who is He telling this to? Those who are already working in the harvest. There is no place in the body of Christ to say, Lord, 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 send Him. These people were already working in His service. And He said, the harvest is plentiful, but 72 of you is not enough. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that He raise up more. Saints, God will hear our prayer to raise up more when we're doing what He's already told us to do. But if He raises up more and sends them to us and we're not doing it, what will they learn to do? Not do it. Apathy breeds apathy. Power begets power. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. You remember when I said the word like is? It's a simile. I am not a lamb and they are not wolves. They just think that they're wolves and I'm a lamb. What is inside me is the incorruptible power of God. The same power that Ephesians says was working in Jesus when He was raised from the dead. It might look like a gentle lamb because I won't cuss or strike you if you strike me. But what's in me cannot be moved, cannot be broken, and all the power of hell will run from it. God will make us immovable rocks. Hey, Brother Joe! Come on, Joe! We're waiting on you, brother! Come on! Said, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. I want you to understand that this is an imperative statement. When we walk into a situation of chaos, when we walk into a situation that is of discord, we command peace into the situation. Not a cessation of hostilities, but a sense that all is right with God and man. You have the ability at your Thanksgiving table when your relatives are acting a fool to bring peace into the situation. You know what, sister? We're not going to get drunk right now. We're going to praise God. Today's Thanksgiving. Come here, baby. Let me hold your hand while we pray. 
Well, I don't feel like that's okay, I do. You have the ability to change the environment around you. God called you the salt of the earth. He said that you are a catalyst for change, like a little bit of leaven that will change the whole world. We don't need to say, God, God, would you please change this situation? He's already anointed you to do it. Everywhere you go, the power of hell should flee. Everywhere you go, the power of God should manifest. Well, Eric, I, I just I don't always feel that way. Good thing your walk is not about feelings. It is so because God says it is so. You ever met a man trying to be the head of his household? Yeah, it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? You don't have to try to be something God's Word already says you are. You just be it. So I don't feel like I have the answers. What difference does that make? God said you are the head of your household. You don't have to try to be the salt of the earth. You already are the salt of the earth. The question is, what will you do with it? When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick. Heal the sick. Now, am I the only one in here that has prayed for somebody and not seen them get well? Yeah. So what do we do with that? Well, they might not get well, so we're not going to try. Where is the parable of the persistent widow? Luke 18 says he told that parable so that they would learn to pray and not give up. Saints, we need to learn the difference between not seeing somebody healed immediately and not seeing them healed at all. We need to learn not to abort our prayers through unbelief. Not to go dig up the seed sown in faith to see, wow, it's not growing. You know, the majority of its life it spends in darkness. Darkness. Surrounded by pressure. We see it when it breaks the light of the soil. But it had to incubate before that. Get out of these ridiculous religious formulas that say, oh, well, we didn't see it. Problem must be with you. Isn't it great that the great men of God of our time blame the people that don't get healed for not getting healed? Wow, what a superhero. Alleviates himself of all blame. Could not be the sin in his life. Why? He's a great man of God. You show me a great man of God, I will show you a weak individual whose God's strength works in. You go read Colossians 1.28. Paul's the greatest man of God that I can think of. And he said, His strength powerfully works in me. His strength. When we operate in our own strength, it'll never work. So what, he says, heal the sick. What do you do? You pray till they get healed. You pray till they get healed. Heal the sick who are there and tell them. By the way, how do you think I would be if my wife had gave up on me last night? Jen's never put on boxing gloves in her life. As far as I know, she's only ever wrestled with one person, and I won. And she beat the dog out of the devil last night because he desired me to be laid up in bed, and I am not there. One frail, beautiful but frail woman beat all the power of the enemy last night because she believed God's Word and she had a great need. She had a husband that was a whiner. 
Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. You know when people see the kingdom of God? When you're living in it near them. How do you live in it? You apply the king's principles. You do what the king says. You act like the king's real. When he speaks, you no longer hesitate. You don't form committees. You do what he says to do and they'll go, my God, the kingdom, the kingdom. Some woman came to my door the other day. She was from a kingdom hall. I was as nice to that Jehovah's Witness as any Jehovah's Witness I've ever met. A whole different standard, really. She's not in the kingdom. She can meet in the kingdom hall, but she does not have what I have. She has a religious lie. And she's not walking in power. And the reason that she's so deluded, self-deluded in what she's doing... Because she's made peace with the God of this world. And she's not dangerous to the enemy. She's working for Him and doesn't even know it. I couldn't bring myself to say, God bless you, or Godspeed, or even good day. I just said, bye. That's all I could manage. When we walk in the kingdom of God, people will know it. It's not a matter of doctrine. The most devastating thing that ever happened to the Chinese church is when we sent our Bibles and included in them our doctrinal statements. For the first time, what was then 58 million Christians in house churches broke into 12 major denominations, wouldn't speak to each other and got mad and hated each other. Some spoke in tongues, some didn't. Some wore certain kind of hairstyles, others didn't. And what had begun in power had fallen into mediocrity. Well, I can't do anything about the state of the church as a whole but I can make sure we walk in the kingdom. I can make sure that we overlook a minor doctrinal issue to work with God's people and spread the kingdom. Skip on down here. Let's pick up in the 17th verse. The 72 returned with joy. <laughs> the 72 returned with joy. The work of God ought not be a burden to you. The work of God ought not make your face frown and pull the corners of your mouth towards hell. Give yourself a facelift right now. You'll be prettier. Smile. The work of God is a joy. They came back with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in Your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I'm not going to argue about the theology, but people say it happened eons ago. Wrong. Way wrong. He saw Satan fall from that area, from the heavens where he dominated that area like lightning. You know why he fell? Because the kingdom was near the people and they stepped into it. They stepped out of his kingdom, the devil's kingdom, and into God's kingdom. We need to give people a chance to experience what we have. I have given you authority. All right, saints, this is about to get good. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Come on, like trample. He said, I have given you authority to trample. Sometimes, just like Joshua in the Old Testament, we need to step on the devil. We need to remember that He has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. A-L-L all. Gets the whole wash clean. All the power of the enemy. 
What's that next line says? He says, and no harm will come to you. So I can be laid up in bed with a fever, but I can still say, I have authority over the enemy and no harm will come to you. But Eric, you're sick. I'm not sick right now. The Bible's message of deliverance and salvation is not that you don't get into trouble. You go back and read Psalm 91 again. It says, a thousand will fall at this side. Ten thousand will fall at that side. No harm will come near you. Really? Then why are they falling at either side of me? God puts you smack dab in the center of the furnace and delivers you from it and then says, see, it couldn't touch you. That's what He calls deliverance. The end of Psalm 91 says, I will be with Him in trouble and I will deliver Him for He calls on My name. Our God is a delivering God. Maybe you need to get knee deep behind enemy lines. Great tribulation produces great salvation. Nothing will harm you. He goes on to say at the end of the 21st verse, I praise You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because You have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children. Saints, He's revealed this to you. Prophets may have longed to look into these things. Angels may have longed to look into these things. And He has revealed it to you. Revealed it. You ever met somebody who was blind? If you haven't, it's okay. Can you imagine trying to explain to somebody born blind what a color is? How would you do that? But once it's revealed to them, once their eyes are opened and they can see, can you imagine not knowing what a color is? This has been revealed to you now. It's revealed to you. You have power over the enemy. We need to walk in it and believe it as surely as we believe that the color on the wall is the color of Matthew's skin. If it gets, if it gets a tan, then we'll darken the wall. I love y'all. I don't know what else to tell you other than it's been revealed. It's been revealed and now we have a responsibility. I'm not going to read to you out of Second Kings. But in 2 Kings 3.27, one of the strangest things happens. Israel's told that they're going to go in and they're just going to whoop the mess out of somebody. You know, a whooping's better than a whipping. Much better. The king that they're supposed to be fighting sacrifices his firstborn son on the city walls. 2 Kings 3.27 And the fury against Israel was so great, they turned back. God said victory was theirs. The enemy seemed to want it a little worse than the people of God. And he won. The only difference really was the desire. The enemy is willing to kill his kids. That's what he does. He steals, kills, and destroys. The people of God shrunk back because they loved their lives rather than were willing to lose them. The sad part about that is they could have had both. They could have had their lives and the victory. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep 
to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliot wrote that in his diary the day before he was killed. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Our king said, if you lose your life, you will find it. What are we worried about hanging on to things for? A paycheck? Please. You might as well go get your 30 pieces of silver. Your reputation? People don't like you as much as you think anyway. <laughs> Turn with me to Psalm 118. That will be our last scripture today. Last scripture I read. Then I'm going to make you read one. I'm kind of liking that. I went to a Messianic church the other day. Lots of responsive reading. I didn't know what to think about that. I, I, I hadn't been in a church full of liturgy since I was in the Lutheran church. and My pastor at the time was a homosexual. So... Uh, didn't leave a great mark on me. He was. You were there. <laughs> Having said that, I found a use for responsive reading. I'll get you to read the Word, and as you hear yourself say it, you might dare to begin to believe it. I'm not going to write a liturgy hymnal for you. I'm not going to show you words to pray. I'm not beating down on people that do. Man, some of them are beautiful. They're better than anything that I could write. But I'm going to stick with this responsive reading. So I'm going to read to you Psalm 118. I'm going to read 5 through 9. Then I'm going to tell you somewhere to turn. Psalm 118, verse 5. In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and He answered me by setting me free. I've been set free, saints. I've been set free. I've been set free of things that I could never say in front of my in-laws because it would make my wife blush. But I've been set free. For more than 15 years now, I've been walking in a freedom that people said won't last for days. 15 years now, I've been set free. 15 years from now, Joe still will be free. We've been set free. Never again am I going back to chains. Never Again. Never again am I going to live in a prison that I built for myself. Never again. Because it's been revealed to me that I have power and authority over the enemy. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? My God, if we could get that in us for real. What can a man do to me? I was left on a football field one night after a dance with a man that beat me out of my mind. And all of my best friends didn't have the courage to stop it. And it went on and on and on. After concussions and hospital visits and the loss of memory, praise God for that one, and a black and blue body, I am still here. What can a man do to me. The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. I will look with triumph on my enemies, saints. What are you taking refuge in this day? When we're holed up 
When we're sitting in Jerusalem, when He said, go to Judea, go to Samaria, go everywhere, we put our refuge in men, in princes, in our own strength, and it is a ball of dung. When we get out and get vulnerable, when we look like lambs among wolves, but inwardly are filled with power, we will look on triumph. We'll look with triumph upon our foes. Our God never called you to be stagnant. You cannot be filled with His Spirit and be stagnant. The word for Spirit is pneumos. I said I wasn't going to do that, but I lied. Pneumos, it means a moving wind. So I don't like Greek. I like Hebrew. Ruach, it means wind, breath from God. Ruach HaKodesh means a moving wind of God. It is not possible to be stagnant and be with God. This is why Galatians says, stay in step. With the Spirit. He's always stepping. Always stepping. You never step off. He never backs down. He's the ultimate. Alright, you ready for your recited reading? Turn to Micah. Micah's in the Minor Prophets. This is the last scripture you get today. I didn't plan to preach. We planned to worship and you preach. And y'all brought some word and that was good. If you get tired of me preaching, bring more word to the worship service. Because if y'all had more word, we'd still be singing. You'd still be delivering the word. Tell me when you're in Micah. You're going to be in the third chapter of Micah. Would it be all right if I had you read a verse? How about half a verse? I'm going to read it and then you read it back to me. Micah 3, verse 8. But as for me... I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might. Alright, saints, it's your turn. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might. Come on now. In your Bibles, if you're the writing kind, cross out me and put your name. Cross out me and put your name. This is not about Eric. It's not about Matthew or Joel Osteen or Ed Young or Billy Graham. Those are just men. It's about you. You could read this, but as for Joe, he is filled with power. But as for Brandon, he is filled with power. Saints, when we begin to believe that, when we begin to act like that, nothing will be impossible for you. The ninth chapter of Mark says, nothing is impossible for him who believes. Nothing is impossible for us. We're filled with power. Stand to your feet. We're going to pray.